Sentinel Warriors! Thank you for tuning in for another episode of 2420, the podcast that brings you information from 20th Air Force in about 20-ish minutes on the 20th of each month. This is Lieutenant Emily Seaton from 20th Air Force Public Affairs, and this episode has some great content, but this will be the last episode with General Lutton speaking with this group of commanders, the wing commanders and helicopter group commander, for a while as we are now in the change of command season, and we want to bring you a variety of content. So we really hope you enjoy, and let's go ahead and dive in. Hey, welcome back to 20 for 20, uh, our third podcast uh, with your 20th Air Force leadership team. What we're gonna talk about today is what motivates us as leaders, first and foremost. Second, what do we think vulnerable leaders are and is that the right term? And then we'll talk about where we failed as leaders and what we learned from that failure. So Jason, what motivates you after 31 years to keep going? Sir, I think back to when I was a squadron commander and an airman first class in our squadron. I'm getting ready to walk out to a meeting he comes walking in with his wife. They just had a baby two days prior. And so I was surprised to even see them in the unit. They had their baby with them. I thought, hey, hey how you doing? You know, how did everything go? And um, is there anything that, that you need? I thought maybe he needed me to sign his paternity leave or something. And, uh, and they look at me and he says, sir, we're here to show you our baby. And so at that point, you, you stop, you know, and I tell the folks in there, hey, you know, contact, uh, you know, kept Hanks and have him cover my, my meeting because there was nothing I was gonna do at that point other than spend time with that family. When, when I still think back on that uh, event, it still motivates me to today because, you know, what, what did I do to deserve such an honor that, that somebody would want to share something so personal with me? We talked in, in another podcast about the difference between positional and being a commander versus being a leader. And, and it's those, moments where I think back and go, this is why it's important that when we're given this opportunity to serve in these different ways as a supervisor, as an informal leader, as a commander, um, that we do the right thing. At at 15, part of motivation is knowing your why and why you do things. How did you come to that? My why, I think, has evolved over the years because when you first come in, people come in for different reasons. Mm -hmm. I came in because I saw my father, my stepfather had served and it was something that felt comfortable for me to do and it was a job, right? Mm -hmm. And then as time went on, my why changed and it changed, I think, with experience and it also changed as I've had the, the fortune to be promoted because now my why is the airmen that we lead. Using my position to enable them to do their job, to develop as leaders, and to develop as airmen as well. Right. So my why is enabling others to be the best they can be. Yeah, now you mentioned that that might have not always been the case when you were a junior officer. Yes, Chris, do you remember for you and that transition when you had a, a bigger appreciation for what motivated you and kept you going? One was actually while I was a, a cadet, so a, a little deviation, but just of what it means to, to serve. So going through um, Siri and being in the, the POW resistance portion, I, I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be Tom Cruise, you know, Top Gun had come out. You know, that was what I had in my World mind. Service. Right. But, so now I'm, you know, 60, 80 feet underground, you know. So that's all good. Same, same. So, right. Yeah. But, you know, being repatriated out of the camp uh, to, to turn around and see the American flag, and know just 
just a sliver of what others have gone through yeah. for our country. That's, that's what imprinted in me what it meant to serve. But then, I mean, it, it's still then later on in my career as far as really having the opportunity to lead and, and command, really, uh, and see, you know, as Anita was saying, what, what we're able to do um, from our positions to help influence, add value, and, and get the mission done while caring for airmen um, is really what continues me to, to want to serve and to, to serve my country, to serve our airmen. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that is it, it reminds me of a comment that a previous boss of mine said, which is people will remember how you make them feel long mm-hmm. after they remember what you said to them. Uh, I shared it last week. I can still remember to this day in 1999 when I was coming back from overseas and I was coming through customs in Dulles International Airport. The representative had no idea the impression that that would leave on me almost 30 years later uh, when I showed my passport and military ID and they said, welcome home, sir. I think there's a sentiment to that that we can take as leaders where even just how are you doing and mean it can motivate our airmen. Kathy, how do you see that in your wing? Motivating airmen and motivating yourself and just engaging. So from my perspective, I come to work every day and I work for 4,200 people. It's what can I do for them? Where I get my energy from, it's, it's from those interactions with the airmen, with everybody. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, I get to run through the defect to get lunch and maybe that, that's the most contact I get because I'm jam-packed with meetings that day. But that's where the energy comes from. And it's the opportunity to make a difference. And, and sometimes it's an airman who needs help. It's a, other times it's an airman who, who maybe needs a little more guidance. The honor and privilege of being a part of somebody's life and being able to improve it and to have an impact is a gift. Mm-hmm. And it is why I serve. Yeah. JB, uh, it's often used now where we talk about the need to have vulnerable leaders. What does that mean to you? And when you talk to your airmen in the helicopter group or whenever you travel across the number to Air Force, what, what does that mean to you, being a vulnerable leader? To me, it means having a, an element of humanity and being approachable. Sharing a, a piece of yourself that most people might consider private. You don't have to let all the skeletons out of the closet, but sharing one uh, you'd be surprised at how much that, that can open doors and make you relatable to that airman. So uh, they, can, they can see that you're a human being, not uh, you know, some uh, mythical creature, right? Right. And, and uh, it, it opens the door to, to a conversation. Do you think that that's because our airmen make assumptions about us? Sure. Yeah. I mean, they don't, I mean I'm, I'm the old man in, in, the, in the 582nd. I, I, I don't, I don't uh, fight that. But, right. Um, I think they need to understand that it well, came from a similar place, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had some similar experiences, and if you can just tie one of those to uh, an airman, that can open the door for you. Chris, when you kind of play off what JB was talking about, is how do you make the time to have conversations and, and relate airman to airman so they understand who Chris Menaway is as a person before they try and understand who Chris Menaway is as their wing commander? So I think it's a, a couple of different ways. I mean, one, uh, Chief Kreider does a great job of pulling me away from the desk, you know, for us to get out and about. I mean, it's it's meeting airmen in their workspaces and just having those conversations where, where they're at. Um, and then one is going on alerts is, is super beneficial. That's a lot of time um, with your crew partner, being able, whether it's on the road driving out, coming back, or while you're out in the field, but also uh, just getting out to the field or getting to, to watch the maintenance teams doing work 
on an LF or a camper team that's guarding a site. It's, it's getting to where they're at and just asking questions and being curious. With that and what JV said, F-15, how do you establish a level of trust with the airmen so you can have those conversations? Some people may qualify as vulnerable, but really they're just genuine conversations that are rooted in all of us are, are people and all of us have stories and all of us have experiences in life. I think the first part is getting out and being available, like like Chris said, because it's so hard. About four months into Wing Command, you asked me what's the thing that surprised me the most. And I told you that it was how easy it would be to stay at your desk because the paperwork, the email, whatever, doesn't yeah. stop. So getting out, making time to get out into the, your airman's work center. So then you're in their space where they feel comfortable. They feel some sense of control. So I think putting them at ease starts it. And then letting them know that you're human too. You've had ups, you've had downs, you've got different experiences and just being open, being approachable and, and sharing your story because mm -hmm. then they, they know that it's not, you just didn't magically wake up one day and you're at this rank and, and this job that you had struggles maybe similar right. to them. I mean, I think that's really critical, especially when we look at the first two podcasts, right? Because, you know, the path to leadership, becoming a leader where folks may look at it and go, hey, this occurred to me as a teenager. This occurred to me as a youth. This occurred to me as a lieutenant. I can't possibly be Kathy Barrington. I can't possibly be JB, until you establish that level of trust and you go, hey, look, we have all gone through things that have formed us as the leaders that we are today and the commanders that we are today. Jason, how do you begin that dialogue of trust with your airmen so that they can know who you are and what you bring to the team? Well, for me, when I introduce myself, um, if, I, if I'm not familiar with the, with the crowd, you know, I, I, I do um, talk about where I started in the Air Force and coming in as an Airman Basic. And, and I think that's a there's a certain instant relation there because many of them are also um, just coming in the Air Force straight out of high school like I was um, and, and, and like I had. But, but it doesn't just stop there, right? It's, um, you know, I, I think back to when I was an Airman Basic and getting back to, you know, JB's point earlier about being the old, person there, right? I mean, I used to think that master sergeants were old, and they were like my dad old, right? And, and, that, and, and for the audience, I think I may be the oldest person at the table. <laughs> and so, and so I'm, I'm hyper aware of that and, and how, regardless of how we're serving, whether we're enlisted, whether we're civilian, whether we're officer, there is going to be generational gaps, and so it's it's really just talking about those gaps and asking those questions, so I can better understand what does it look like from your foxhole. This is what it looks like from my foxhole, and then the transparency that I think every single one of us has has talked about here, particularly if you've had struggles, and I talk about those and, and how I sought help, and just being honest and listen and and, and learn learn from each other and then let the conversation take itself naturally from there. Kathy, when you, when you listen to what's been said, how do you look at establishing that relationship of trust to develop your airmen? And then how do you share experiences with those airmen that you may have had in your career that knows, hey, you're not the only one going through this problem? Can you talk to that? Sir, first what I try to do is listen to the airmen and 
get them to open up as much as possible. A lot of times, whatever an airman is struggling with, they know the right thing to do or they know what they need, but they need help working through it. So I, I try to listen as much as possible. If I am gonna share a, a similar situation, I'm mindful that I don't wanna appear that I'm just listening in order to respond. Like I, okay, you told me your story, now I'm gonna tell you, you my story, and my story's worse than your story. That's mm -hmm. not effective communication. Yeah. So I, I try to maybe tell a story that might show that, okay, when that happened to me, I did this, and I found a benefit here. You may want to consider that course of action, but I try to empower the airmen as much as possible because they don't want me to tell them what to do. They want to be able to see what they can do for themselves. Yeah, and, and, and so I think that's an excellent way to, to phrase that, what they can do for themselves, right? I know throughout my career, I've seen what I refer to as leadership traps, where you have leaders that try to be somebody or something that they're not. A great example of it that I recall was, and this will clearly date me, was uh, social media. So it was very new about 12 years ago. We were really trying to figure out as a group, hey, should we have social media presence? I remember we were out with our uh, non-prior service airman, and there was a one-striper. And the one-striper, I asked him the question, I go, hey, do you think, you think I should have a social media presence? And he just flat out looked at me, he goes, we just want you to be you. And so, Chris, when you talk about vulnerable leadership, how do you balance that without falling into a leadership trap where you try and create somebody that you're not? How do you keep yourself just you? I, I think one, it's, it's being able to assess what your strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah. And so, once you know yourself and how to operate within your strengths and to stay away from your weaknesses, but also, all right, how do you cover down and start to get stronger where you're weak? Just from a leadership perspective of um, one real easy matrix is you know, support versus challenge in that are you more of a cheerleader supporting type person or are you very much mission focused, hard charging? Mm -hmm. But the sweet spot in empowering um, our airmen is being able to, to do both of those but to, to be able to understand the situation and which is better to use. Do you, is it a right time? Is that, do you have an airman that's confident, knows their job and is just struggling and needs challenge to raise them up to the, to, to the next level? Mm -hmm. Or do you need to be more, more supportive you know, to kind of pick them up and, and brush them off and, and get them moving? But uh, you know, for me, you know, I'm, I can very much fall more to my, the natural of support. And I think it's understanding that, and, but that can also um, lead to just a, an organization that if you stay there, that can kind of get off the rails by not being ever challenged. Mm -hmm. And it can kind of get lackadaisical. So you've got to have both. Okay, excellent. As, as our airmen interact with us, I think a misconception they may have is we've never failed at anything, right? They're walking around your headquarters building F-15, your picture's up on the wall, JB, they're in one of the squadrons, your picture's up there, pictures are up, and they don't associate setbacks or failure in your career with being up on the wall where all the pictures are at of the command team. So Kathy, how, how, how has failure shaped you as a leader, and how have you taken that and developed yourself? So I've messed up a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of failures, a lot of, ooh, I could learn from that, but that has, has been the part that shaped me is the critical self-assessment and the try to learn from it, try to get better every single day. So acknowledging the failure and being open and honest about what happened. So I, you know, I'll call out a mistake uh, that I make, you know, and I, I will be very vocal of, hey, when I did this, I see that, that I was wrong here. So trying to create an environment where people can critically self-assess, 
acknowledge mistakes, and then we all get better for it. And JB, how, how, are, how have mentors helped you when you've had situations that you've failed in? I think that exactly that, that, they, that they've given me time to reflect on it and encourage you to get back up, right? Because the ultimate failure is if you don't reattack, if you don't debrief it, if you just sit on that failure and let it eat you up, mm-hmm. um, I, think, I think that's where we can go wrong. So I've, I've had mentors that did exactly that. Hey man, this happens, it happened to me. Get back up, what do we learn from it? How do we prevent it from happening again? And move on, and it makes you a better person, it makes yeah. you a better officer. F-15, our airmen are gonna succeed in our organization, but failure is gonna be something that they encounter. Can you talk to how you encourage our airmen to be aggressive leaders and understand that failure in certain areas is something that we understand is going to occur? Can you talk to that? So I think the best way to show that is to allow it to happen. I mean, you don't you don't want to set the airmen up to fail, right. but at the same time, if we say failure is okay, we can learn from it and then move forward. It's to actually not celebrate it wouldn't happen, but it, to acknowledge it and then stay true to your word that things won't be perfect and that's okay. But how do we learn from it and then move forward? Because if you say, oh, it's okay, we, we want to be innovative, right? And, and it's hard to be innovative without allowing some steps backwards or some failures. If we say innovate, innovate, innovate and then you do something and it's, it doesn't come out how you wanted it, and then you don't allow us to learn from it and move forward, try again, then your airman will shut down and recognize that you're saying it's okay to fail and it's okay to learn from it, be empowered, but in actuality, it's not. Yeah, and, and I would just use a personal example. Quite literally, the first time I failed at something as an active duty member was in the weapons school when I was a student. And that was not good because I did not have the skill to recover from that failure because that trait of critical self-assessment, that was not something that was fostered. The environments weren't there where you can solve problems after a failure. And so that's something that stayed with me for 24 years is it wasn't the one mission that I failed. It was a leadership skill set that I didn't have to go, okay, let me, as Kathy and JB have said, let me let me debrief this, let me understand what occurred, let me come up with the instructional fix, let me put the instructional fix in place so that I don't encounter this again. And I think that's important for us as leaders to set an environment where our airmen can experiment, exercise, and innovate and succeed or experience setbacks, but learn from both. I really appreciate everybody's time on our third 20 for 20 podcast. Uh, We went across a couple areas. What motivates us? What are vulnerable leaders? And then where have we failed and how has that failure really formed us as leaders? Thanks for your time. Have a good day. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. And we really hope you are able to learn from the tips and experiences shared by 20th Air Force leaders in these first episodes of 20 for 20. Unfortunately, we were not able to get the Chiefs back together one last time before Chief Orff retired from his incredible 28 years of service Chief, thank you for all of the wisdom and guidance you have provided to all the airmen throughout your career. We're really hoping you the best as you move on to this next chapter of your life. Hopefully, from the five sessions we did with the Commanders and Chiefs, you have been inspired for your own unique leadership journey. Please join us next month on the 20th once again for a new episode of 2420. See you there.